Good morning. If you'll please remain standing for the reading and hearing of this morning's gospel lesson, which is found in the Gospel according to John, the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 31. Hear now these words. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Again, good morning. It's good to be with you on this uh, Sunday after Easter. Um, I forget this sometimes, but I am aware that not everybody knows who I am. Um, We have been attending the church for 22 years now, my wife Kathy and I. My name is Steve Faisenbaker. Um, You have probably not seen me dressed like this. Um, I am a retired United Methodist minister. I worked over at the Georgia Tech Wesley Foundation for 18 years. I retired from that position, was invited to join a church staff out in Lawrenceville, Um, decided I wanted to stay with the students at Georgia Tech, so I found myself a position in the Dean of Students office, so I'm still over at Georgia Tech working with the students and and, uh, living the dream here at St. Mark on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings. It is such a good place to be, and it's been good for uh, my family and I to be involved here at St. Mark, and um, just really thrilled to be a part of this time with you all this morning. Uh, My entire career actually was done in campus ministry. I had never uh, been appointed to a local church myself, so I am very, very, very familiar with the story of Doubting Thomas. Um, You may or may not know this, the Sunday after Easter every year is officially known as Doubting Thomas Sunday. Uh, This story is read on the Sunday after Easter every year. Um, Some folks call this Low Sunday because after the high, high attendance on Easter, uh, this day tends to be not quite as uh, filled out, not quite as packed. 
and there are some uh, senior ministers who refer to this as Associates Sunday because uh, they have uh, worked very hard through Lent and through Holy Week and, and just needed to be away. And um, much of our staff is away for some well-deserved rest. And again, it's a, it's a joy and a delight to be here and talking about Thomas once again, as I have done many, many years. Being a campus minister, I was invited a lot of Sundays after Easter to fill pulpits while um, staff was away. So I have kind of an affinity for, uh, for, for Thomas. I, I think he gets kind of a bad rap, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But the first thing I want to point out is the way that this, uh, this reading ends here at the end of chapter 20. Um, the author says this, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The author of this gospel is being very, very, very clear. I do not work for Encyclopedia Britannica. I am not a New York Times reporter. I am not out just gathering the facts and putting together a history. There is some stuff that happened, and I want to tell you a story about that. And I'm telling you the story because I want you to walk away with an idea. I am trying to persuade you of something. I am being very clear. I am trying to persuade you of something. I want you to believe something when I finish this story. Therefore, I am telling you the things that will move you towards that. And I'm leaving out a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with what it is I want you to think when this story is over. Very, very clear. So. The author is not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. I am not a New York, I'm on the New York Times opinion page. I'm one of those opinion columnists. I have an idea, I want you to believe my idea. I'm gonna tell you the things that I think will lead you to agree with my idea. That is the way that this gospel, and again, this is the way all of the gospels were written. So this story shows up on the Sunday after Easter because guess what? This story happens on the Sunday after Easter. The first thing that we read was actually the day of Easter, the day of the resurrection. So uh, Jesus was, was uh, found missing from the tomb on Sunday morning. And then in verse 19, it is the evening of that same day. The disciples are gathered. Um, Jesus shows up to them. Thomas is not there. And they ask basically the same questions that, that Thomas asked. Um, we, we want to see the marks in, in, your, in your side. We want to see the marks in your hand. And it says right there very clearly, after Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Doubting Thomas? It's so unfair. Tardy Thomas. The late, great Thomas. Not doubting Thomas. He was no different from the other disciples. The only difference was he wasn't there on the first day. He skipped class that day and he missed a lot. But he was there the following week. And the disciples said, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas said, I need data. I need evidence. I need proof. Now you could probably pick up the reason why I resonate with Thomas so much. I just mentioned that um, I, I decided that I wanted to stay at work at Georgia Tech rather than go move into a church because I get this is the way Georgia Tech students think. This is, this is what their life is all about. 
We need data. We need to run experiments. I need a flowchart. I need to see your lab report. That's how we know things. We come up with an idea. We develop a, a, an experiment where we can measure things. We take the data from the measurements, and then we conclude this is the way that it is. That's all Thomas is doing here. He's, he's, he's the perfect Georgia Tech student. I need to know what is going on. I need to run some experiments. I need to see some data. I need to read your lab report. It's not only in science that we do that, though. Um, you all heard of a person named Soren Kierkegaard? Is this a name that you all like to talk about on your Friday night gatherings? So you're sitting around at uh, El Taco and eating nachos. And let's talk some Soren Kierkegaard for a while. Um, Soren Kierkegaard was, is known as the father of existentialism. And the, the understanding of existentialism is basically we move from existence to essence. First we experience something, and once we experience it, then we can put words to it, we can form ideas around it. But the experience comes first. And Kierkegaard actually was uh, very uh, engaged, very uh, wrapped up in his life in the church back in the 19th century. And, and if you asked him to describe church, he, I'm trying, let me think if I can think of the, the, the right word that, boring, church is boring. That's what Soren Kierkegaard would say, because we read things like the Nicene Creed, one God, uh, the, uh, um, true light from true light, boring. Um, I have no experience of that. That says nothing about my day-to-day -day life. I, I, I need to know how this story is, is tied in with, with my story. So. Christian existentialism was born, and, and, and a movement within the philosophical and theological traditions came into being. How do we connect this story of Thomas with our stories of daily life? And it comes down to that word, story. There is a fellow named John Polkinghorne. He was a physicist who taught at Cambridge for 25 years and then decided that he wanted to go back to seminary and be an Anglican priest, and he did that, and he spends a lot of time now with, talking, um, with dialogue between science and religion. That's kind of his, his gig. That's kind of the thing that he likes to do. And he is very famous for saying sort of part of his foundation of his work is that there's basically two ways that truth is told. There's two ways that we, tr that we transmit truth. One is through proposition, and one is through narrative. So the proposition you get, we, we sit down, if A, then B, if one, then two. Um, we, we make arguments and we, we figure things out and we kind of explain things logically, hoping to convince folks to think the way we do. The second way truth is, is expressed is through narrative. We tell stories to one another. One of the things that Dr. Polkinghorn laments is that in our day and age now, in the post-enlightenment, uh, post-Renaissance time, we are much more propositional people than we are narrative people. Um, our, our stories don't carry the weight that they used to. We look more towards arguments. We look more towards uh, for and against, pros and cons. Let's, let's find two people with differing opinions and put them on a stage and let them battle it out to figure out who's got the, the right answer. 
But that's not what's going on here. That's what Thomas is asking for. But that is not what's going on here. It's the story that transmits the truth. When the disciples say, I have seen the Lord, they are not saying, here are some photographs and here are some recordings. They're saying, I had an experience. I encountered the risen Christ. Before I did, I was one way. Now that I've encountered the risen Christ, I'm a different way. Let me tell you my story. That is what's going on in this passage, and that is what we are invited to do as well. I have seen the Lord. This is not offered as proof that there was a resurrection. It is offered as a testimony to transformed lives. I was in despair, and I encountered the risen Christ, and now I have hope. My life, my relationships were broken. We encountered the risen Christ, and there's been healing, and there's been reconciliation. I was addicted to substance, to process, to habit, to situation, to idea. I could not function without those things. And then I encountered the risen Christ, and I was set free from my addiction, and I could function, live a full, a productive, and an abundant life because I have seen the Lord. So how does this happen? I don't know exactly, but I know that we share it when we share our stories. I will share two, one mine and one not mine. Many years ago, there was a pastor here named Jimmy Moore. Many of you remember Jimmy Moore. When Jimmy came to St. Mark and took up the work of the work that St. Mark does, he got some criticism from a colleague, a, a, a colleague up in Marietta, Georgia, who um, did not understand the work that St. Mark did as necessarily holy work. Jimmy called this pastor not long after he got here and invited him to lunch. And they went to lunch and as they were moving past the small talk, this uh, colleague from Marietta said to Jimmy, well, let's hear it. Explain to me how the work of St. Mark is holy work. Explain to me how what is going on at St. Mark Church is in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jimmy said to his colleague, I'm not here for that. I just want to hear your story. How did you get to be to this place? What has led you from where you started to where we are today? I just want to know your story. And then I will share my story of how I got to St. Mark. And hopefully, beginning with this lunch, our stories will be one story and we can learn and grow together. 
there's no debate. There's no true statements and false statements. There's only my story, your story, our story. That was an inspiration to me. So several years later, when I was working at the Georgia Tech Wesley Foundation, I read a book that was called Unchristian. A survey group had done some surveys of people between the ages of 16 and 30, folks who were not involved in church, folks who did not really have a church background, just to ask them what their opinions of the church was. They took all of this data and they put it together and they sorted out there were basically six areas, um, six, six things, six ideas that sort of arose out of this. 91% of the folks surveyed Folks who had no church background, who had no connection to the church, 91% said that their impression of the church was that it was anti-LGBTQIA. There I was at the Wesley Foundation at Georgia Tech, thinking to myself, nine out of 10 students who walk past this building think we don't like gay people in this building. This cannot stand. So I reached out to the LGBTQIA Resource Center at Georgia Tech and we created the LGBTQIA Interfaith Lunch and Learn. So sponsored by the Wesley Foundation and the Resource Center, once a semester we invited three people to come have lunch with us and share their stories. Share their stories of how they reconciled their spirituality and their sexuality. No debates. No arguments, no proofs for and proofs against, just three people living their lives and sharing their stories. Now there was one semester it got a little um, uncomfortable. There was a person who was working with one of the more conservative campus ministries who um, he said that he was not a member of the LGBTQIA community, but he did experience same-sex attraction. And given his faith tradition, his only choice was to live a celibate life. And he wanted to share his story. So I talked to the folks in the LGBTQIA Resource Center and said, this fellow would like to share his story at our luncheon. They were very uncomfortable. They did not think this was a healthy story to share. They did not think this was a helpful story to share. And it took subduing, but I had to sort of insist that if we are going to hear people's stories, we need to hear every person's story. So we invited this fellow to share his story of how he came to terms with his spirituality and his sexuality and the choice that he had made in his life. And he shared that along with two other folks who had made different choices given the way that they had reconciled their spirituality and their sexuality. And we grew to know one another and understand one another, love one another, not necessarily agree with one another, but you know what? Nowhere does it say that we have to agree with one another here. We are called to love one another. And we love one another when we know one another. And we know one another when we have the grace to listen to one another's stories. So as we 
move into this new season of Easter, don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out which gospel got it right. Was there one angel or was there two? How many women were at the tomb when the tomb was opened? Data, facts. The important thing is the story. I was one way. I encountered the risen Christ in the midst of the congregation at St. Mark United Methodist Church. I was there. I came in one way and I left a different way because I met the risen Christ in and through the people of St. Mark United Methodist Church. I understand myself in a new way now. I understand God in a new way now. And I understand the world in a new way now because I've encountered the risen Christ. I have seen the Lord right here and right now. And it has made all the difference in my life and it has made all the difference in the world. Amen.